And if you'll turn your Bibles to Psalm 32, as we continue our study in the book of Psalms, I've said before, and I mentioned last week, that I try to build the service around the message, and especially the hymns. And as you notice this morning, we've, we've sung some old gospel hymns. That's because this is a gospel psalm. And uh, isn't it beautiful to find the gospel in the Old Testament? Psalm 32, one of my favorite psalms, would say this, that I found as I go along that some of the psalms that I've skipped are some of your favorite psalms. <laughs> and I've been asked, why didn't you preach on this psalm or that psalm? And uh, I'm taking note of those. I have two in the back of my head now that we'll go back and pick up. So if there's a particular psalm that is especially meaningful to you, that you would really like uh, to hear a sermon preached on, uh, I'll assign those to Mason. <laughs> Let me know, and we will work those in. Psalm 32. This is God's Word. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you, my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But you trust in the Lord, loving kindness to surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. I thank you so much again for your word. And I thank you for people who come Lord's Day after Lord's Day to hear it. Who love your word. Who want to understand it. Who want to live by it. Who want to apply it to their hearts and their lives. Who are willing to come to hear a, many times a stumbling and fumbling preacher try to explain the depths and the riches of your holy word. Father, I pray for grace today for all of us as we look again to the gospel, the great good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And pray that would be our rock and our strength and our hope today. 
We make our prayer again, as always, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there isn't anything much worse than a guilty conscience. I'm sure you know what it is to have one of those. I don't have to describe it for you. Don't have to draw a mental picture of it for you. We all know that feeling. It's a, and it's a miserable feeling, isn't it? It's the feeling of overwhelming guilt. Because of something that you did that you should not have done. Something you said you should not have said. Something you omitted that you should have done. You know, a, a sense of personal guilt is just almost erased from our culture today, isn't it? We are so good at scapegoating. So good at blaming someone else for our transgressions, for our faults, for our misdeeds. Always pointing the finger at this or that or him or her. It was her fault, his fault, its fault. Instead of just owning up to it ourselves and saying, it was me. I did it. And I'm guilty. You know how one of those miserable, guilty consciences can affect you. Sometimes you, you lie awake at night in what I like to call the dark night of the soul. Unable to sleep, kind of just overwhelmed by this deep sense of guilt. Sometimes you avoid people. Try not to see someone. Interact with the person because of feelings of guilt. Sometimes you're distracted during the day, unable to focus on the task at hand because of these feelings of guilt. Sometimes you can almost feel physically sick because you're overwhelmed with such tremendous guilt. If that's is your experience or has been in your experience, then I've got some wonderful news for you this morning. The Bible gives us a solution to these feelings of guilt. There is a way that you can deal with your guilty conscience. And that good news is found, of course, in the Bible. And this morning we find that good news is found right here in the Old Testament in Psalm 32. A moment ago I called it a gospel psalm. And that's what I believe it is. It shows us that there is hope for those of us who were affected by feelings of guilt. There is deliverance for those of us who are troubled by a guilty conscience. If you look at the heading of this psalm, you'll notice several things. One is it is called a psalm of David. David wrote this psalm. And David, by personal experience, knew what it was to have a guilty conscience. And David's wasn't false guilt. David's was real guilt. I'm sure you are familiar with the unseemly parts of David's life. We revere him, but you know, he was a man with feet of clay just like us. David, of course, as the king of Israel, was the commander-in-chief. He directed the military. And there was a time in David's life when he sent his army off to battle, but he did not go with them. He stayed back in Jerusalem. And while they were at war, he was engaged in an affair 
with a woman whose name was Bathsheba. That was bad enough, but as a result of the relationship with Bathsheba, whose husband, by the way, was out in the army doing battle, Bathsheba conceived a child. And David knew he was in trouble. And to try to cover his sin, he sent for Uriah from the battlefield. But Uriah proved to be a more noble and honorable man than David. And David's plan to cover up his sin failed. And so in a desperate attempt still to save himself and his reputation, David sent Uriah back to the battlefield with word to the commanders to go charging into battle and then without Uriah's knowing it to withdraw and to leave Uriah exposed and alone so he would be killed. That's what the king had commanded. That's what the commanders did. And that's what happened. You talk about a good reason to have a guilty conscience. David had it. He had committed adultery and he had committed murder. And because of what he had done, David's conscience bothered him. It bothered him a lot. And that is the background for this psalm. You know, Psalm 51 is David's great prayer of confession and repentance based upon those sins with Bathsheba and against Uriah. In Psalm 32, David is reflecting upon his experience between two points in time. That was after the commission of these sins. And then finally, when Nathan the prophet came to him, confronted him with the reality of his sin, and David was eventually broken by it and confessed his sin, repented of it, and received forgiveness. Psalm 32 tells us from David's own words how he felt during that period of experience, that period of time, but also the joy that he experienced when forgiveness was realized. So this is what is called a penitential psalm. That is, David writes it, expressing his penitence, his sorrow for his sin. It's also called, if you look at the heading, at least in my text, it's called a mascal. A mascal was a a teaching tool, a teaching psalm. There are several other mascals in the psalms. And this is a, a psalm that was especially designed to teach, to instruct others so they wouldn't fall into the same trap into which David fell. And in this psalm, I believe David gives us or teaches us three ways to deal with our guilt. And the first way that we find in the first couple of verses to deal with our guilt is to live in the present And for a believer, to live in the present is to live in forgiveness. Folks, you see, that's what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, isn't it? To be a believer is to be forgiven. The the Bible says that God blots our sins away so that we cannot find them any longer. He casts them as far away from us as the east is from the west. I'm not sure how that far is. That is a long way. He puts our our sins into the the very depths of the sea. And and for a believer, to be a believer, it is to be forgiven. 
And what David is saying in the first couple of verses is that living in the present, living in this sense of forgiveness is to live in great joy. There is great joy to be had in knowing that your sins have been forgiven by the Lord. Look at, with me at what David says in verses 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man who does, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. It reminds us of Psalm 1, doesn't it? There, David also talks about a blessed man. There it is. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or the ungodly. Psalm 32 is talking about a man being blessed who did walk in the counsel of the wicked. But who has experienced God's forgiving grace because of it. Verses 1 and 2 are what we call an Old Testament beatitude. You might remind us of the beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, don't they? Blessed, blessed, blessed. Here we find that word twice, once in verse 1 and again in verse 2. And notice again what he says, how blessed, he says, is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Notice the four different words that David uses for sin and the three ways he expresses what God does with our sin as believers. He calls it our transgressions. That is to, to violate what God has given us to do. He calls it our, our sin. Sin is falling short of the mark of what God expects from us. He calls it our iniquity, our wickedness, and then also our deceit. But he says... That God forgives our transgression. He covers our sin. And God does not impute iniquity to us. He doesn't hold it against us any longer. No wonder David says, how blessed is that kind of person? And this morning I want you to know if that is your experience, if you are in Christ today, if you experience the forgiving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a blessed person. I don't care what else there is in your life. Whatever it is you consider to be precious or of value, there's nothing more precious to you than understanding and knowing that your sins are forgiven and you are a blessed person because of it. And I want you, please, not to miss the note of joy in these verses. David doesn't just say, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. He says, how blessed they are. How blessed is the one who has been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that's the only way for our sins to be forgiven. David knew how bad his sin was, but he understood how wonderful forgiveness was. And David knew that could only come through the Messiah that God had promised one day to send. 
to take upon himself the sin of his people. You see, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter what transgression you have committed, no matter what iniquity, no matter what deceit, no matter what it is, the blood of Jesus covers it all. That's the message of the gospel. That the Lord Jesus paid whatever price that had to be paid. He did whatever needed to be done. From the cross, Jesus declared with finality, it is finished. And because of that, we can be blessed. Knowing that God has dealt with our sin in this marvelous and wonderful way. If you want to deal with your guilt, realize who you are in Christ. Focus on the present and the forgiving grace that God has bestowed upon you through His Son. The second way He gives us to deal with our guilt is to reflect on the past. Now notice I didn't say dwell on the past. I said reflect on the past. Sometimes we don't appreciate where we are today. Because we forget where we were yesterday. Sometimes we don't appreciate the joy we should have today because we, we forget the misery we had the other day. You know, a little perspective goes a long way, doesn't it? And that's what David is giving himself here, in, especially in verses 3 through 5. He's giving himself a little perspective. Because as I indicated earlier in my sermon, there was a period of time between the commission of these sins when David finally came under conviction. David tried to hide his sin. He went to great lengths to try to hide his sin, didn't he? And there was a long period of time before David was willing to stand up and say, I am guilty. In fact, it took God sending the prophet Nathan to come to David and tell him the story. Remember the story about the, the, the man who had all kinds of flocks and herds and had a visitor come and instead of using one of his abundance, he went and took one poor man's little lamb that had become more like a pet. And served it to his guests. And David is horrified. And he said, that demand deserves to die. And Nathan looked David in the eye, pointed his finger in his face and said, you are that man. In that moment, David was broken. He was convicted. He realized the guilt of his sin. But he talks in verses 3 and 4 about the experience between those two times. It wasn't that David just went on about life merrily and happily. He knew he had transgressed against the Lord. He was trying to hide it. But he couldn't escape it. He couldn't avoid it. He calls that period of time in his life in verse 3, that time when I kept silent about my sin. And he said during that period of time, he said, my body wasted away. He said, I was groaning all day long. The Lord's hand, he said, was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away. 
as with the fever heat of summer. Satanism didn't have just emotional, spiritual effects. He didn't have physical effects. David was just kind of sucked dry because of his guilt. His vitality was gone. His energy was gone. He was, it was like he was coming in from a hot summer day, drained of any enthusiasm or fervor for the Lord. He said, the, the Lord's hand was heavy upon me. But as David reflected on the past, he didn't, he didn't linger there. He didn't stay there. Some people like to linger on the past. They can't get past the past. But see, that's what the gospel does. The gospel brings us from the past to the present. It, it, it takes us away from those feelings of guilt to, 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 to a sense of real forgiveness. And notice what David says in verse 5. Finally, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity I did not hide. And it took the prompting of Nathan. Just like in your life, it takes the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He said, I acknowledge my sin, my iniquity I did not hide. I said to myself, I'll confess it. I'll admit I did it. I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And he says, you forgave the guilt of my sin. That was the turning point for David. That was, that was the life-changing event. When David finally no longer tried to hide his sin, even from God. But he opened up and said, I'm a guilty man. I'm going to confess my sin. And he says, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Notice what David said here. He said, I will confess and you forgave. I will confess and you forgave. That's, that's the biblical pattern, isn't it? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, what? He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ paid the full price for your sin, every sin you have committed, are committing, will ever commit. Jesus paid it all. Sins past, sins present, sins future. When he said it's finished, he meant it. There's nothing else to be done. Your sins have been forgiven. Well, you say, why well, confess? Well, we have to appropriate that forgiveness. We have to experience the fullness of what it means to be forgiven by a merciful God. I would say in a sense that forgiveness and confession is a lot more for us. It's all about us. Appropriating the peace that passes all understanding, knowing that our sins have been forgiven. We've confessed those sins and we've experienced the fullness of God's forgiving grace. And again, there's only one way to accomplish that, and it's by the blood of Christ. Again, the, those in the Old Testament, like David, looked ahead by faith to the promise of a Messiah to come. We look back now upon that Messiah, trusting in Him who has come. Now there's the third way to deal with your guilt, and that's to look to the future. 
after David experienced the joy that was his presently because of the forgiveness of God and after he had looked back on the past and realized where he was and to the place where he had come, David was able to move on in his life and to do so with great confidence. Even you come to verse 6, David is really drawing a conclusion from what he's just said. The conclusion is this. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. It says, surely in the flood of great waters, they shall not reach him. Now, that's a very difficult verse. And I found lots of different opinions about what that verse means. It seems clear to me that when David says in verse 5, let everyone who's godly pray to you in the context, it has to be a prayer for forgiveness. David is it's urging people to, to, to pray. Let everyone who is godly pray to you to experience the, the same kind of forgiveness that I've experienced, to find the same kind of joy and blessedness that I've experienced. And to do so, he says, in a time when you may be found. We, we read earlier this morning from together from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord when? While he may be found. Call upon him when? While he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord that he might experience pardon and blessing and forgiveness. We're to come to the Lord without delay. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And there's a warning at it. And this is what gives people trouble here. And people have tried to do all kinds of things with this verse. But to me, it's got a, you know, the, the clear reading is the, the best reading. So surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not reach him. Let everyone who's godly pray to you in a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not reach him. The Bible says, God says, my spirit will not strive with man forever. There'll be a time when it's too late. For unbelievers, a time when it's too late to deal with their sin. When the floods come, when, when the judgment comes, it's too late. They can't reach Him. Now, believers don't lose our salvation when we sin. But we want to keep a, a clear conscience, don't we? We want to know that our, our, we're, we're right with God, that we've appropriated the forgiving grace of the Lord Jesus. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Pray to him while he is near. And then he goes on with great confidence in verse 7 to say, when I do that, I find myself in a very confident place. You are my hiding place, he says. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. When is your assurance the least? Isn't it when, when your conscience is guilty? And the Bible says the wicked flee even when no one's looking. You know, a guilty conscience is a terrible kind of thing. It's, it makes us very unsettled, insecure. 
Esper talked this morning in Sunday school about feeling insecure about our trip. Well, we feel insecure in our relationship with God because of these feelings of guilt. But when we confess and we receive that forgiveness, we realize God really is our hiding place. He preserves us from trouble. He surrounds us with songs of deliverance. And then toward the end in verses 8 through 10, we find the, the, the words of instruction that David gives. You see, forgiveness is always tied with repentance. We just don't take God's forgiveness and do nothing with it. Forgiveness is always tied to a change of life. Trying to do it differently. He says in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel with my upon you. What is that instruction? What is that counsel? It's found in verse 9. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle, to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come to you. What is that instruction? Don't be stubborn. Don't do the same thing the same old way time and time again. Do something different. If you have been forgiven, receive God's forgiving grace. If you're a blessed person because of it, don't be like the horse and the mule. If you have no understanding, you have to have a bit and bridle so you can lead them where they're supposed to go. You respond to the truth of God's word. And live for him in repentance and in obedience. And he calls us in verse 10 to trust the Lord completely. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, he says, but those who trust in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. And then he ends the psalm where he started it. And that is with this note of joy, of blessedness. And in verse 1, David's talking about his own sense of blessedness. Because he knew that he had been forgiven. In verse 11, he's exhorting everyone else, all other believers, to join him. Be glad in the Lord, he says, and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. I've tried to choose hymns this morning, hymns of joy. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. I am resolved no longer to linger. I will hasten to him. Worship's about joy, isn't it? The joy of forgiveness. And maybe we ought every Sunday to, to read Psalm 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Find joy today. And the forgiving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that grace that covers all your sin and all your guilt. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for the giving, forgiving grace of the Lord Jesus. Father, our sin is great. From Psalm 25 earlier when we very opened our service. We, we offered that prayer together. Lord, forgive us because our iniquity is great. And it is. We've all transgressed your law, disobeyed your word, done, said things we ought not to have done and said.
left undone duties that obligations we should have performed. We're guilty. But Father, I pray that you would show us our sin. Remind us of the full forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he paid the price for every one of them. And help us to confess and experience the joy of forgiveness. That we would walk not just in joy, but in obedience. To the praise of the glory of your grace, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.